welcome to the Mobile Manga Podcast. I'm Janae Muha, your host. Portland, Oregon's cheese scene is varied with a wonderful cast of characters, but if you ask, one name will continue to pop up. Steve Jones has spent decades curating a cheese world of his own. From working from the major players in town to opening his own shops, Steve has done it all, and that's why it was such a blow when he announced the closing of Cheese Bar in January. In this episode, I chat with Steve about that closure, the difficulties, and the real numbers behind a retail cheese shop, and how even after 24 years, there's still so much more to learn about the cheese industry. Grab some cheese and a pint, and get ready to hear from one of our industry's best. If you want to just introduce yourself and give a little um, history of your time in cheese. How deep do you want to go? However deep you want to go. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure this is my, I'm about to enter my 24th year in cheese. Wow. Uh, I started, I opened four little shops around the St. Louis area. That was where I cut my teeth. Um, and the great thing was the second of those four was American artisan focused. So in the late nineties in the Midwest, that was well ahead of the curve. Luckily my boss had that vision and gave me that assignment. So that was a pretty cool introduction to American artisan cheese way back when, when there were so fewer of us. Um, and then from there, I, um, I went and I did an internship at Neil's Yard, in, mainly in aging uh, in London. And then after that, I came back out to Portland and worked for Provista for a couple of years, ran their program, so small independent at that time, uh, importer, distributor, um, but really decided I didn't like looking at spreadsheets. I like touching cheese. So I went and worked for New Seasons for two and a half years, small independent local chain, uh, or once again. At that time. Uh, <laughs> I, I seem to turn independence into bigger conglomerations somehow. Um, and that was supposed to be like a six month little, you know, hold me over job. And it turned out to be two and a half years. But that was pretty fun. I ended up being um, kind of the fixer. They would send me into stores that had problems. I got to clean up problems, and tighten up inventory and such. So that was a fun learning experience on a different level. And then from there, I started into opening my own place, basically. And it started with a bunch of little pop-ups at friends' places. I did a pop-ups at patisseries. And I did classes anywhere anybody would let me. And so for a couple of years, I did that while I was uh, mainly waiting tables, earning money to try to get the capital to open. Um, and But by the time I opened, I had like 500 people on my email list from all these little classes and stuff. So we had a captive audience out of the gate, which was kind of, I think, essential to us surviving that first year. Um, so then I opened Steve's Cheese, which was... I want to say it was about 350 square feet in the back of a wine shop. Um, and that was pretty great. We did that for five years. And then um, the wine shop owner never wanted to include beer in the, in the equation. And I always dreamed of 
adding beer to the equation. Um, and so I branched off and opened Cheese Bar at that point. And Cheese Bar had an entire menu. It was the it was everything that Steve's cheese was. You just put Steve's cheese down in the middle of a little bar and added a menu. And that was Cheese Bar, basically. Um, but then I was able to add the beer that I wanted to add to the equation. So beer, wine, cider, a nice, what I would call a thoughtful cheese-oriented menu. But with cheese, you need to eat salad and other roughage to keep eating cheese. So it wasn't all cheese on cheese on cheese. It was it was a little more thoughtful than that, little nice bistro. And so we did that for almost 11 years. And in the meantime, I opened Cheese Annex inside of the Commons Brewery, which we did were the food service for the Commons. And it was a pretty cheese-driven menu, cheese boards, meat boards, kind of like a, a light version of Cheese Bar inside of a brewery. And then um, I opened Chizu downtown, which was the sushi-inspired cheese plate place. Uh, once again, about 500 square feet, 17 seats. And it, you could, you know, do it omakase or, or, you know, check things off like you would at a sushi bar, but all cheese instead of fish. And so that was open for about four years. We closed that. The commons went out of business. We closed that. And then in January of this year, we closed Cheese Bar. So opening, closing, continuing. And also within that whole time too, you were heading up the Cheese and Beer Festival every year and you wrote a book. So you're a busy, busy man always. Yep. Yep. <laughs> out of trouble. <laughs> you like to add too many things to your plate. I understand. Um, so cheese bar closed this year and you were open all, almost all throughout the pandemic. Um, can you talk me through what that looked like? What did you have to do at the beginning? What was going on with all of that? Sure. Um, so cheese bar for anyone who was never there, it was pretty small. It was only about 900 square feet in the, in that part of the room that you could sit in. And so just for the requirements of the state, we immediately were shut out of food service inside. Uh, we Phase one, which lasted for, I don't know, nine months, 10 months a year, would not allow us to have any dining indoors. We just did not have enough square footage. So we immediately closed the kitchen. That was the first thing we did. Like pandemic, they made the announcement the next day we closed the kitchen. We immediately shifted to a market focus and sold off everything out of the kitchen and then just started to beef up and become like a neighborhood market. We sold tons of flour, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of flour uh, back during the bread heyday. Uh, lots of eggs, milk, you know, all the staples and the neighborhood was great. Uh, we had so many people who were using us as their primary grocery um, because people didn't want to go into the bigger grocery stores. That was when people were still wiping off packages, you know. So uh, we were seen as a very safe curbside option. Uh, we also had never done online ordering. We immediately flipped to online ordering. That became a third of our business overnight. And for the rest of the pandemic, that was a third of our income. So it kind of made me think, wow, were we missing that boat for all these years, you know? 
a lot of hindsight came with this. You know, it's a lot of a lot of things that you wonder: were we too close to the forest to see the trees? You know, and then the pandemic came, and we had to see the trees from a totally different angle. But we, um, so we became a like I said, a market first and foremost. We were only allowing one group of people and a group had to be basically a family unit, you know, either a real family or a chosen family, um, but one group at a time into the shop. And generally it was one person, two person, you know, we tried to keep it to those numbers. And so we would have at least two people working and then one person on the other side of the counter. And so we were able to give a totally different kind of service than we'd ever given before because it was absolutely one-on-one, -on -one, which we'd never, generally at Cheese Bar, you kind of got into the queue and whoever was being most attentive got most service, you know. But this kind of allowed people to come in and really shop in a very different way. You know, it's they got to slow down. That being said, we had to take sampling away. So it, it that equation really, you know, it, it, it morphed everything. Um, we sold more cheese than we ever sold, uh, but the margin on cheese sucks compared to the margin on beer and wine by the glass. So losing that beer and wine by the glass dropped us 20% out of the gates. That was a 20%, we could not get that back. And that was really probably the thing that hurt us the most because that's such a nice high margin and that we just never could gain back that high margin items that were paying a lot of the bills. Yeah. And also with Oregon's liquor laws, you probably couldn't do any sort of like draft to go. We could. Um, unfortunately, people are willing to pay a lot more for a glass of beer Sit, seated at a bar than they are a jar of beer. To yeah, take home. that's we, fair. We sold that some, some growlers for sure, but it, we were never really set up to do that well. And yeah, yeah, and we still, that margin would have never been all the way back up where those really good, they, I mean, it became pretty apparent pretty fast. Those were the numbers that had kept us alive for all these years. And we, we made money every month, but we just were working so hard to make so little money. And then our lease came due and I'm like, man, I'm almost 55. It might be time to throw in the towel. You know, so it was, it was a combination of being really worn out by the pandemic, knowing I didn't want to go back to the equation that we had been at because I could see that we'd been working way too hard to make that little bit of extra money. And then the lease just being up and the landlord, although he was willing to work with us, he wasn't willing to, you know, like drop rent by 50% or 30%, you know. So it, it became apparent that we could continue to work really hard and scrape by. And I think at that point, the, the luster was gone. You know, it was, I I'd, hadn't got a, give somebody a taste of cheese for over a year. You know, the fun parts about mongering were kind of gone. Ordering was not nearly as fun. Out of stocks were massive. Uh, at the height of the pandemic, 
we were getting out of stock on 50 to 60% of what we ordered every week. Um, just because the importers couldn't make pallets happen. It was that all the way from Europe to Portland, there were, you know, hitches and the, they just added up. And so what we were able to bring in just became a lot more lackluster and not nearly as fun as it, it had been. So it, it kind of all those things combined kind of made saying goodbye a little easier. Yeah. Um, so you did bring up the one-on-one -on -one mongering. Like, what do you think you would take forward if you had continued to, you know, keep the shop open? What would you have continued to take forward? Like, what were the exciting parts of like adding that to the equation? I mean, it's really nice to give somebody undivided attention. It's, it's a luxury you don't have in a busy shop. Um, so it was really, really nice to be able to do that and give a different level of service, although it was a level of service without taste. Um, we got way better with our adjectives. You know, everybody, I encouraged everybody on the staff to really go to the next level. And sometimes, you know, like Keenan would go to the next level and a little further and I'd be like, hey, I don't know if that's an attractive word, you know. <laughs> um, but it, we had a lot of fun with it. We, you know, we all shared our adjectives and, you know, people would, you know, come up with a new one that we're all collectively like, that's the perfect word for that flavor that we've never nailed. So I think we became a lot better at that. Um, we also became a lot better at knowing customers in a number of ways. Like knowing what they liked has always been something we've been pretty good at we got to learn like a lot about these people. Like we learned about their families and their hardships and, you know, their celebrations. <clears throat> it was a really um, very, I learned more about my customers in one year than I had in nine, you know? So it was that pretty, pretty enlightening moment. And, you know, it, it, going forward, it would have been nice to, you know, take the mass off and see how those relationships developed post pandemic because we'd really developed some very tight relationships for sure. There were a lot of tears the last couple of weeks we were open. I can imagine if I was still in Portland, I'm sure I would have been one of those teary people yeah. also. <laughs> um, so your staff, you had to close down the kitchen. How many people did you lay off? How many people did you keep on? What did the, was there just the two of you every day? So the kitchen was um, generally three cooks and we'd only have one cook on at a time, one to two. We had a little overlap, but generally, but still that was a third of my staff immediately gone. Um, and then we up front would have a bare minimum of a monger and a person to run the cash register because that that part of the transaction ended up being about as time consuming as the mongering. Um, and so then when we were really busy, we would have two mongers and one cashier. And then the cashier obviously was trained to jump in with the mongers also. But yeah, I mean, we smashed all our old records. Those That's last holiday season, we went 15, 20% beyond like the old records. And we were doing that with three people 
And it was, it was just insanity. It was moving as fast as we possibly could. Like when we did the math on how many pieces of cheese a day we were selling, it was just mind blowing for, for that many humans to do it. But it was pretty cool. And uh, luckily uh, our customers were very, very generous. Our, my, my staff got really, really good tips. So they were making the best money they ever made which kept them coming back, which saved my butt, you know? So yeah, so it's pretty winning for everyone really. Yeah. Um, and then you also brought up the online stuff. Were you doing any sort of shipping? You weren't doing any shipping at all. No, we just, we've never had the space to pull it off well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so a third of your sales overnight, that's pretty wild. And um, knowing you, you're, you're not necessarily the most... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to say this diplomatically, but technologically is not always your thing. So a bit of a luddite. Yeah. So how did that transfer for you? Um, well, I'm really lucky. I mean, my wife is is the opposite of me with technology. So she was kind of our on the ground tech person. But also, I mean, I had staff members who like we all knew like Rachel can do all of this. So, you know, everyone would be like, okay, when Rachel gets in, here's our list of questions for Rachel, you know, and eventually it got to be like, and now Steve can touch the device. You know, that was about as far as it got to that eventually people are like, oh, okay, now you can touch it, but try not to, you know. That's good that you had that, uh, your IT there with you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because <laughs> that's a huge system to put in place. Um so quickly, like your entire inventory and then having it updated constantly with whatever you have in stock. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. A huge learning curve. Luckily my staff, my closing staff was, was just really, really a bunch of very intelligent, hardworking people who, who just, they got it done. I mean, I couldn't have done it without them for sure. So so also within a lot of that time, you had another job. Yeah. <laughs> so can you uh, talk about what that is and how you were able to kind of manage working two kind of big jobs like that? So, um, yeah, right before the pandemic uh, in, in January of the before times, uh, I had called up my friend Jeremy at Springbrook because I knew Christy had left. Christy was their longtime sales rep. And I said, hey, Jeremy, do you want help, <clears throat> pardon me, at a fancy food in San Francisco? Because I've got a little free time. It's January. I'm not as busy as usual. Um, and he's like, yeah, 100%. Come down. Help me. Yes. And so I was excited because I get to stand behind some cheese that I really believe in, Springbrook Farm. Um, so it was it was fun to just get to be on the other side of the booth at Fancy Food, and to make a little extra money and to work beside Jeremy. I mean, it was just like win win win. This is great, and I got to go down and see Sarah compete in CMI and win. So you know, it was just like a really fun few days, um, and then that just kind of morphed. I mean, the plan was that I would continue to work with them a bit. You know, my thought was I'll do a show here and there, but now I'm the national sales rep, you know? <laughs> and uh, so it went from 
I was doing 20 hours a week initially. And then with the pandemic, I kept up 20 until I closed Cheese Bar. And then I came up to 30. And since then I've been taking on more and more responsibility and all my Luddite ways are being pushed under the table. And I'm learning how to do Excel spreadsheets and work in QuickBooks and all the curse words out there. Uh, but it's been great. So, I mean, I've learned yet another layer to this onion. And also, I mean, just working for a small dairy and getting to sell to these many layers of distribution is a very, very eye-opening experience because it's from, you know, things that are really, really involved where the people have their own systems where you have to learn their operating system to work with them to people who send you an email. It's like, hey, send me these eight wheels next week. And it's great because I love, I love the gradation of that kind of relationships. Uh, so it's been a real challenge and I, I like most of it. Um, I'm very excited about getting back to going to shows again. I'm a little nervous still. I'm still wearing a mask when I'm in a grocery store at this point. Um, but I mean, with more and more people being double vaccinated, you know, hopefully normal's close by. And I think I'm going to fancy food in New York in September. So that'll be the first real litmus of, can we do this? You know, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. That's it's big stuff. I actually just visited my family this last weekend and we went out to Rainier days, which is basically like a fair on the waterfront at Rainier. And I was around hundreds of people, like very few of them wearing masks. And I wasn't cause we were outside and I'm vaccinated. My family's vaccinated, but it was just a very surreal experience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, wow, I haven't done this in a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I spent a month out, um, at Springbrook in May, which was great. That was my first time leaving. I hadn't left home in almost eight months. So to be gone for a month was pretty amazing. And to get a, you know, work here in the, in the cheese room. And uh, it, it was, that, that was fantastic. You know, it's such a special place out there for sure. And thankfully Vermont is also a little bit of a bubble too. So 84% <laughs> vaccination rate in Vermont. Yeah. 84 people. Yeah. Well, and also people are pretty sparsely like located yeah. around the state yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. so. We're going to be able to bring city kids back out for farms for city kids uh, later this summer. Oh, that's exciting. That's a pretty big step in the right direction for us, for sure. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Sure. Yeah. If you guys don't know, Farms for City Kids are, we're a non-for-profit. And so all the profit for the cheese goes to Farms for City Kids, which brings out kids from different urban areas, mainly up and down the East Coast, but all over. And they spend a week, we've got a little dormitory and they come out and they work in the gardens. They work with the cows, they milk, they flip cheese. Um, a lot of these kids have never seen a cow, much less petted one or milked one. So it's a pretty eye-opening experience for these guys. And it's a, it's one of those, like in Oregon, we have outdoor school and it's a kind of a rite of passage for kids to go to outdoor school. And that's kind of how this is for a lot of these city kids, the kids that get to come 
and do the program, a lot of them rank it as like one of their most memorable experiences, you know, growing up. So it's a pretty special thing for sure. Makes the job even better. Yeah. I always wanted to go to outdoor school, but we didn't have it in my hometown, but I wanted to. Oscar <laughs> loved it. Yeah. I can imagine. I mean, I loved camp. It was, I mean, just camp in general is always fun. So um, you're also working on the ACS virtual conference. You are on that committee or what are you I'm working on, on with ACS? Nominating committee and the awards committee. Okay. So, um, but yeah, kind of peripherally, I think we're all working on the virtual conference. Um, it's been a lot of work this year for, for all of us on committees to, you know, I, I would say I'm working 20 plus hours a week on ACS events, basically. Hopefully that'll slow down after a conference. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. We'll see what, what happens here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, for I'm on the judging and competition committee and our stuff hasn't really started yet, but we just signed the contracts for competition to happen in May. So now we can basically start our work, which is going to be the next few months of really ramping up to try and get all of that in order and a whole new system in place. It's going to be very different. So I'm excited yeah. for all of it. Where is the judging happening? Minneapolis. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then obviously next year we're, we're back in Portland for ACS live. I know. I'm really excited that we didn't, uh, like we didn't skip over Portland. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Portland's excited to have it too. So it'll, it'll be a good, good thing for Portland for sure. I think for me, that was one of the hardest things of like the pandemic is that 2020 was supposed to be a really great yeah. year and then it all kind of crumbled. So, um, I mean, everybody has had their hardship over it, but that was definitely like 2020 was going to be like the greatest year for me for cheese. And it all just kind of crumbled, yeah. but yeah, we're coming back. Everything's coming back. So what else is on the horizon for you? What are you, are you working on another book? I mean, why not add something else to your plate? <laughs> yeah, not, not right now. Um, I'm doing a little teeny bit one day a week. I do a traveling monger gig where I go to three different markets and I cut cheese for them. So I just, I re a reorder for them. I pick up the cheese. I go to the market, I cut the cheese, wrap the cheese merchandise and move on. So that's fun because I get to touch cheese. It's always, it always comes back to touching cheese. You know, does Steve get a touch cheese? You know, the happy scale kind of is like Steve's touching cheese. Steve's not touching <laughs> cheese, you know? So that's a, that's a fun little gig. Um, we're planning beer and cheese. Um, yeah. The, like the festivals are starting to like become a, possibility and a little bit of a reality so so that's that's all going on um do you think that's going to be in the fall there's going to be a teeny tiny beer and cheese it's going to be like a beer and cheese intensive for like 40 people in oregon beer week which is i want to say august 20th through the 28th something like that i think it'll be at the front end of that so it'll just be a more intense like classroom kind of experience because we didn't want to go full on like 300 people yet. 
Um, and then if things are going well, then in October, we'll do the bigger event in October. So, okay. yeah, and then beyond that, it's, you know, there's always something cooking, but, you know, it's just mainly me trying to figure out how to touch more cheese. <laughs> Steve's life's goals. How do I touch more cheese? Touch the cheese. <laughs> well, um, is there anything that we didn't cover that you really want to talk about? I'm sure as soon as we get off, I'll be like, damn it, that would have been a good thing to talk about. Uh, no, I mean, I, 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 I sure miss retail. Um, you know, I'd love to do more training. That's been something I've always aspired to do. Um, one day I'll get that one figured out because I'd like to train at the retail level in particular, people hands-on cutting, wrapping, storing, triage. So that's that's something I'm I'm incubating and trying to figure out how to how to market better because that's that's something I'd really like to do, you know, even if it's only a couple days a month, just to kind of help baby mongers cut their monger teeth, you know. I could always use it. I mean, I would take a training from you and I've been doing this a while, but you know, <laughs> still there's always more to learn. That's yeah, the best part. From people every time I work with them. So exactly. All right. Well, I will let you go, Mr. Busy Man. Thank you so much for um, telling us how it is. I mean, people, I think we're wondering if it was just the pandemic, but I think that, you know, you've been through a lot over the last year and most people in retail have. So it's no question that you would be tired. <laughs> yeah. Well, my hat's off to everybody who's pushed through, you know, it's, it's, I'm exhausted watching it from afar. You know, I watch all my peers, you know, continue forward and I'm like, go man, go, you know, and the whole time, you know, when, like you mentioned, we don't do, we never did shipping. But I would always say if someone called, you know, where are you calling from? I'm like, oh, Texas, you should call the Antonellis. Oh, New York, you should call Ann Saxelby. You know, we spread out the love as best we can. And this industry is so like, hug it in, you know. So it's, I'm still rooting for, you know, everyone to, to continue to sell really great cheese. And, you know, I want to come to their shops and touch the cheese. <laughs> I do too. So, you know, <laughs> just... Bring me and Steve out. We'll touch your yeah. cheese. Best mongers. <laughs> I did that at the Antonelli's um, like right before like end of 2019. I was in Texas and it was great. Hey. Like it's so fun to see how different people do things and yeah. what their systems are and what's popular there. And also the regional cheeses that you can't get anywhere else. It's just so yeah. fun. Those pure luck cheeses. Oh, man. And I got to go visit them too. And they're so sweet and nice, wonderful. Nice. nice. Yeah. You know, Sarah, uh, we did an exchange with them where Sarah went down and Tracy came up. So the Antonelli's and cheese bar did, did the swap one time. So I love that. I love yeah. that. Well, Portland is not the same without cheese bar, but thankfully there are still other good places to get cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Go to Calvo, go to Provador, you know, Market of Choice, go see Matt at Whole Foods on Sandy. Absolutely. I actually stopped by Cowbell, Cowbell for my first time I was when I would, was rolling through town the other day, and it was just really nice. I was able to pick up some stuff that 
I can't get up here in Seattle. So that was really great. Yeah. They're doing a great job. Fun stuff. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, get back to work, Steve. Portland may be changed without cheese bar. Steve has left his mark on the Portland cheese scene. This won't be the last we see of him and his cheese adventures. Thank you, Steve, for your continued service to cheese and the people who love it. I look forward to seeing what you have up your sleeve in the future. This podcast is recorded, produced, and edited by me, Janae Muha, with a supporting feature role by my husband, Ben Muha, contributing on editing and music. To support the show, please find me on Instagram and Facebook at The Mobile Monger. For cool extras and to financially support the continuation of this podcast, please consider contributing to my Patreon. There you'll find the full video recording of the conversation, discount codes for merch at my online shop, get a sneak peek at the next guest, and even submit questions for future episodes. Thanks for listening, and remember to keep spreading the word. Good curd. Good curd.